As I mentioned at the start of the last episode, 2022 became another massive year for community pharmacy in terms of pharmacies doing what we've come to expect. Pharmacies on the front line, continuing their amazing commitment and efforts in supporting and caring for their patients and of course the wider Australian population. Once again, community pharmacies have continued to show that they are ready, able and willing to provide vaccinations and health services to all Australians, as well as continue to provide expert medication advice and management. Also, as I mentioned in the last episode in 2022, we surpassed 100 episodes of the PVCM podcast, a show that has had the absolute pleasure Welcome of hosting to the some fantastic guests who have shared amazing podcast, stories, challenges, experiences, advice and insights. It speaks volumes for the pharmacy community, whether it was pharmacists themselves or their staff finding time to come on the show because we all know how busy a pharmacy can be, or whether it was those that support pharmacies coming on the show the to share and help the pharmacies because they want to support the wider pharmacy industry. With each show kicking off with a short snippet from a guest, an interesting part of the conversation to look forward to. Once again, we've gone back through all of those episodes and pulled out the full question and full answer for you and put them together into some more best of episodes. We've done that over two episodes, both full of short and sharp advice from our guests as we look back at 23 shows, those being episodes 90 through to 112. And we've done that across two episodes, with the last episode being volume eight of our best bits, covering episodes 90 to 100. This episode makes it volume nine of our best bits, covering episodes 101 to 112. Let's get started with episode 101, where our destination was Donnybrook as part of National Diabetes Week, as Rowan Lowe talked about rural health hubs. It's a great little segue talking about Shana because this week is National Diabetes Week and it runs from the 10th to the 16th of July. And during Diabetes Week, Diabetes Australia is working really, really hard to raise awareness of the stigma surrounding both type 1 and type 2 diabetes, as well as doing their best to bust some of those myths that are out there in the community relating to diabetes. One of the services that you alluded to there that you offer in your pharmacy is the Diabetes Clinic. Can you tell us about the service you offer in detail and, and ultimately the benefits that the patients experience when they come in to see Shana? And it'd be great if you could also maybe just touch on what does a credentialed diabetes educator do? I think it's great timing to talk about this with Diabetes Awareness Week coming up and definitely for us, um, the theme of the stigmas around type 1 and type 2 diabetes are things that we're really starting to see some traction with uh, with having a credential diabetes educator in store from many different levels, actually, uh, not only from the advice that she's giving to our patients and helping them with living with the condition, but it's also with training our pharmacists and our staff with how to better manage these patients and how we can approach these patients and how to communicate with these patients as well. So with regards to uh, a lot of our type 1 uh, patients, it's definitely just going through with them that's not just about food and and what they're doing. There's there's other factors that really come into play with this condition and that living with it is really quite complex. And definitely the the information, the education that a credential diabetes educator can give to a patient is just invaluable. And it really helps them to set them up with living with the condition. Particularly we've seen some really good stories around patients where one gentleman came in, was having heaps of trouble with his insulin. He was only young. And so the doctors really had said that he just wasn't compliant, you know, with his foods, with what he was doing, his lifestyle. But it worked out that there was a much deeper component to his condition that was happening. So it wasn't just 
him living with diabetes, there was uh, some endocrine issues that were also going on for this patient, which were throwing out his sugar levels. And it was through having these meetings with Shana and these education sessions that they were able to unlock that. But the big thing for that, it didn't just unlock it for him, it also unlocked it for his two brothers who also had the same conditions. So the flow-on effect for that family has been has been quite dramatic. And what we've seen is that the control of their sugar levels has just been incredible since. Uh, also, the education around uh, CGMs is obviously a big thing at the moment with continual glucose monitoring. As of the 1st of July, it's become a lot more available to a lot more patients. But what we're finding too is using that as an educational tool for patients is really cool. You get They get to see how they're tracking uh, on a day-to-day. And we had one patient who was typical type 1 stalwart, uh, knew everything that he had to know about his condition. Um, and we were able to talk to him and and he had uh, a problem with his foot healing. Um, so he'd had having to wear a moon boot in. He works in an orchard, so obviously it was quite inconvenient. So he said, well, why not talk with Shana and, and see what she can offer? Maybe she'll just give you one tip. You just need one tip to really to take away. And we actually, she got him onto a Libre. And from that, he was able to track his sugar levels. And it worked out he was having three to four hypos a week, so low sugar levels, and was countering with high sugar levels, which meant his HbA1c was actually coming out normal. So the doctors are like, yep, your levels are good. You're all good. We're happy with how it's going. But when we put the Libre on and we could see these three to four hypos a week and then this counteraction, counteracting with these high sugars, and from him monitoring and being able to adjust his eating just to be able to see what was happening, he lost 12 kilos actually over about two and a half months, um, which you can imagine really helped that foot to heal because that weight came off of that foot. But it also just helped his sugar levels to be a lot more um, in the zones that we want them to be in. So it was a great outcome just through education um, and for opening his eyes to what was really happening. So uh, Shana does a lot uh, working with the doctors as well. And I think that's really um, helped the success of the program um, and the diabetes education service that we offer is working hand in hand with the other health professionals um, and really helping them to, everyone's learning really, everyone's learning elements about living with diabetes that we're just coming from a different perspective. So it's been great for us as health professionals to have her on part of the team. um, And we're really making sure she's really keen to educate us, but it's really taking the time to listen to what she has and, and telling us that different point of view. Julia Jones from Pain Australia joined us in episode 102 to help us understand pain. We spoke earlier about the kinds of issues that politicians need to understand and you also just spoke about how health professionals need to be talking with each other and and people living with chronic pain are empowered to ask those professionals to talk to each other. One of those professionals clearly is pharmacists and obviously a lot of our listeners Uh, are pharmacists or they're working in pharmacies or perhaps they're thinking about a career in pharmacy. You've also given us a really vital snapshot, I think, into a life lived with chronic pain. And this might help as you explain what it is that chronic pain sufferers need when they come into a pharmacy setting. As such, what is it that you want pharmacists to know to be better able to support their patients who are chronic pain sufferers in their communities? Well, first and foremost, I think it's really important that people's pain is acknowledged. Um, And sometimes that does take a direct question. So sometimes you do have to ask, are you experiencing pain? Because um, you won't know by looking at someone, and that might sound like an obvious thing, but you could just move on to whatever you think you you can see and you can't always see pain or even its effects on people's body and their psyche. Um, If someone's having a difficult pain day, the conversation that they have in a pharmacy might make them explore better care 
or might turn them off from even the care they have available to them. Um, people need to feel like they're not judged. They need to feel like what they're explaining is considered to be real. And I know, for example, with the real-time prescription monitoring we now have, sometimes people get asked if their medications are correct or they are questioned as to whether they um, have been given the right script. Uh, and that can be a really stressful experience for someone who is in acute or, or long-term pain and needs that pain relief or is hoping to get it and thought they were about to get it when they walked into the pharmacy. So the level of kindness that is shown to people who are living with chronic pain is really important. And on top of that, um, I think encouragement to explore more options. Because we know, for example, that allied health is a really important part of pain management. It doesn't mean that someone won't need tablets or won't need a prescription to be filled, but that sometimes with additional and, and supporting that person with more and, and, and exploring more areas of pain management, they might actually not need as much pain medication. But the person has to want to seek it. In order to help them to want to seek it, they have to feel respected and encouraged rather than judged and um, dismissed. In episode 103, we got to meet the 2022-23 NAPSA president, Flynn Swift. Flynn, our listeners might remember from way back in episode 81 of the podcast when we welcomed the 2021-22 NAPSA president, Verity Bowstead. And Verity told us about what NAPSA does, its history, and some of the key events and campaigns throughout the year that are undertaken. But I thought... For you, it might be a good opportunity for you to tell us what NAPSA has coming up in the year ahead while you're president. NAPSA's plan for the year to come is we want to bring students back into the thriving face-to-face -face aspect of NAPSA and reignite the excitement and experiences you get for becoming a NAPSA member. We've released scholarships that give our members the chance to get out to events that they wouldn't normally be able to attend, and there will be plenty more throughout the year for our members. We want to bring our student engagement back and mainly by working heavily with Zaneb and her Congress Organising Committee at CASPA in Canberra and bring back our face-to-face -face NAPSA Congresses this year in January. So that will be such an exciting event for our students um, to all meet up in Canberra because in the past couple of years, it's always been online. Our students who are in the current cohort, they haven't really had the experience of a face-to-face -face NAPSA Congress. So I feel like getting them out there and getting them to interact with each other, making connections that honestly, they will be bringing them throughout their, the rest of their pharmacy career. Terry Backer, retail manager at Terry White Kemart in Rosney Park in Tasmania, spoke about delivering NDIS services in episode 104. So Terry, we often talk about the role of pharmacists and those like yourself who work closely with pharmacists of being more than just a, a shop manager or a retail manager in the sense that you're not just managing what products go on the shelves in the pharmacy, you're doing a lot more than that in terms of having conversations really with patients and sometimes they can be tricky ones that take a, a, a lot or a little bit of sensitivity. Can you share a, a little bit about how you have learned to approach tricky conversations with patients and maybe even share an example of or two of how you approach those more sensitive topics when you want to dig a little bit deeper with the intent to help a patient? So we treat every patient that comes through our doors the same, whether they're an NDIS patient or not. One thing that is really important with our team is respecting patients' privacy. 
we ensure when we have sensitive conversations that we take the patients into one of, one of our private consulting rooms. We have found that by ensuring complete privacy and by not having a conversation in the middle of the pharmacy for everyone to hear, we have been able to dig much deeper into these issues and find solutions for our patients. For example, we've had many conversations with patients that have severe incontinence issues. We've been able to assist them with the correct products and by breaking down that stigma that surrounds incontinence, they have felt confident enough to book in with our continence nurse and they were able to assist them further. In episode 105, Dr Hester Wilson helped us understand how to have painful conversations. Well, Hester, that real-time monitoring has really placed the pharmacist front and centre in having important and let's be honest, sometimes really difficult conversations with their patients. I can imagine that having access to a patient's record of where and when medications have been dispensed, that puts more burden on a pharmacist to, to actually stop and have a conversation with patients if they think there's a bit of a concern around the amount or, or frequency that a medication has been dispensed. How important is it from your perspective as somebody who is a prescriber for pharmacists to to have those conversations i think it's incredibly important and once again pharmacists as part of that treating team have a relationship quite often with the person that they're seeing i do acknowledge that these conversations are difficult they can be difficult However, what I know sometimes happens is that pharmacists have already started conversations with patients even before real-time prescription monitoring was, was available and been saying, look, I'm a little concerned about your dose. Can you go back to your GP? Um, but also that real-time prescription monitoring gives the pharmacist and us as GPs a, a, a chance to restart those conversations. Uh, and, you know, so what I'm doing in my setting is saying, look, you know, we've got there's this new program uh, in, and in my state, it's Safe Script New South Wales. This allows me to look at the medications that you are being prescribed and being dispensed. There is a reason for this because these medicines can be high risk. And I really want to ensure that you're not coming to harm. So I would really encourage a pharmacist to have those proactive conversations with anybody that's on a high risk medication and, you know, ideally anybody that, that they're concerned about. Um, or maybe even checking it, just having it open for every patient, um, because it is possible that you might be dispensing something that, that does have a risk if they're taking lots of other uh, high-risk medications. Uh, but, but just to actually start that conversation saying, we now have this new system. It allows me, and it's important for me to look at this uh, in terms of your medications. And I want to flag that if I have any concerns, I will be discussing those with you. It doesn't mean that what you're saying is, I'm not going to dispense, though it may. If, if, if you are super concerned as a pharmacist that there's, there's prescribing here that is really unsafe, you really are in a position where you may have to say, I'm really sorry, I'm really concerned about this level of prescribing. I'd really like to give your doctor a call and just have a chat to them. Um, you know, it, it's your script. Please take it back. I really just want to flag that what I'm looking at here is really high levels of this and really high levels of, you know, the, the Valium and the Alprazolam and the Oxycodone. Are you aware that these can be unsafe taken together? Are you aware that these can cause overdose and, and, and in these doses can hurt people? I really don't want to hurt you. Uh, and it may be that the person goes, well, you know, I'm going elsewhere. 
But what you've done is you have had a, a respectful conversation that is around risk and harm and concern. Uh, and and look, you know, there are some people that are on these medications that don't realise what they are and they're quite horrified when they realise that they are high-risk medications. Other people immediately start to feel a bit shameful and a bit stigmatised. Uh, and, and, you know, so you, you're saying I'm a drug user. Actually, no, I'm saying that you are a person that has really significant health issues. You're on some medicines. Like all medicines, they have risk. And I am concerned for your well-being and your safety. And I want to help you to manage that. John Jones joined us in episode 106 to discuss the pharmacy of the future. What about your staff? They're talking to people on the front line day in, day out as well. They may have particular passions that might fit into the full scope of practice and so you might be able to deliver some of those things in the pharmacy but you do have a set business model at the moment does staff ever come to you with new ideas is that something that you encourage and and if so how do you work through some of those ideas yeah so well that happened this morning where uh, one of the pharmacists expressed an interest in sleep apnea and so again you build a business case around it look at what the need is look at what the competition is what are our, our break-even points? How many people do we need to serve or in order for that to, to be financially viable? I think traditionally in pharmacy, we have used our script numbers as the only market economies, whereas we really do need to start looking at how these services themselves create income. And I think all pharmacists would agree that the vaccination and COVID vaccination has basically given us a kick up the bum to get service delivery in the front of our minds. And I think that we need to start looking at those services as businesses themselves and, and how our income is derived through those. Offering all of these free things supplemented by, you know, dispensary income or front of shop income, you know, has to change. I don't think it's a sustainable model. And I think that people are increasingly seeing the value in what services we provide, whether that be you know, more efficient access by not having to wait for an appointment, you know, at a GP that's not timely. That's probably the, the biggest one or accident and emergency ambulance um, where there's huge wait times and a number of those health problems can be solved in a community pharmacy. Really, they can. In a recording from APP22, we heard the panel session, Are You the Future of Pharmacy? with panel members, Lucas Patchett, Melanie Moses and Brad Butt for episode 107. Melanie, growing up in uh, regional New South Wales has clearly been a driving factor for you as a, a pharmacist and a healthcare professional. What sort of challenges do people in rural areas face in terms of accessing healthcare and services and ultimately what can the industry do as a whole to, to help meet those needs? I find one of the biggest issues that we come across in somewhere like Orange is being able to get a doctor's appointment for a lot of people, just the simple needing to get in, get a repeat prescription generated, and then also access to more specialised services. Like I do consider Orange a bit luckier than the rest because we do have um, specialists, but the wait times for those can be huge. And um, that's often a conversation you're having within, with people in the pharmacy and that conversation, they're coming to you wanting to help bridge that gap and, you know, saying it's going to be six months before I can see that specialist and showing up wanting some help. So I think the best thing pharmacy can do is keep being accessible, keep, um, keep your training up. Recruitment, retention and return was the topic in episode 108. 
as Heidi Darius and Debbie Capuano from Ravens Recruitment joined us. Debbie, staying with you for a second, in your role, as you mentioned, you place pharmacists in various positions, and that can be across community pharmacy, hospital, and, and a variety of other locations, and both in permanent and locum roles. At the moment, approximately the same number of students are graduating from university as has been the case in recent years. So it's fair to assume that all settings are competing hard for interns and early career pharmacists in particular. And have you seen a change in where graduates are are, are looking to do their internship, a, a, a change in interest of areas where they might want to go and look and do their internship? And if so, in answering that, can you also maybe share some tips uh, for community pharmacy owners to help them make their pharmacies as appealing as possible to those graduates? Generally, internships are done either in community or hospital settings with a big number of students when we talk to the students in the unis, citing that their desire is to do their internship in hospital a lot of the time, sadly, <laughs> but with them generally resigned to the fact that they may not be successful in securing that hospital internship especially if they haven't been able to secure work as a pharmacy student in hospital, which of course gives them a good advantage in securing a hospital internship. So students who are going into community pharmacies to do their internship, either as a first choice or second, are looking for structure and exposure, I believe. Structure around the mentoring, training that they're going to receive and exposure to all the areas of community pharmacy services that are offered at that particular site. And they're looking to have this quantified interview as to what their intern year will look like and with what they will get to experience. Of course, this is a win-win for everyone involved. The intern pharmacist who's, who's receiving that well-rounded intern opportunity to top off their learning experience as a student of pharmacy. For the business overall, of course, it's, it has a happy and engaged, motivated young professional on board, which, are, which does impact on the customers and the other staff as well. But it's also really beneficial for the pharmacy industry as a whole, as the industry is obviously always richer for a well-turned-out, newly registered pharmacist. Of course, there is a catch with this. It takes that bit extra for an owner to provide that well-rounded internship experience, and not everyone's prepared to put things in place to ensure that it happens, unfortunately. But um, certainly, if they've got a, a, a great opportunity for somebody, they need to express that when they're at interview, like it's really expand on what that's going to look like to get them over the line. We heard horror stories from the coalface from Andrew McManus from Fred IT as part of Cybersecurity Awareness Week 2022 in episode 109. So if we, we listen to what you said earlier, that everyone is a target, tell us about the different kinds of scams and, and hacks and, and, and tricks that these people are using, what, what's around at the moment, and maybe even update us on what might have changed in the last couple of years since you were last on the podcast. The tools that cyber criminals use are forever evolving. It, it's an arms race on the tradecraft used to try and hack into your pharmacy, um, steal your credentials, gain access to your valuable information. Um, some of these cyber criminals and nation states are investing literally millions of dollars in terms of uh, the systems and tools that they use to, to gain access to that data. And that's not an exaggeration. It's is actually a big business. They now have cybersecurity as a service where you can go onto the dark web and you can buy the tools yourself. So you don't even need to be a cybersecurity expert to become a hacker. Um, anyone who has the 
um, ill will, the ill intent to go out there and commit crime can get onto the dark web and they can buy the kits and the tools and the systems themselves to be a cyber, a cyber criminal. So that's increasing. So that's, again, a significant change that's happened in the, in the last couple of years, which has provided access. So many, many more people are, are hacking than they were a number of years ago where previously you had to be an expert yourself in, in being able to do that. Some of the techniques that we see are still the same. So the number one risk that we see to pharmacies is still phishing emails. Uh, and text messages with the malicious code embedded um, in that in the link where they try and steal your credentials or, or perhaps malicious code embedded in a website. Um, and we also see vulnerabilities, things like remote access tools. So this is a big one and a big lesson for pharmacies. So the tools that you use to remotely log into your stores, um, quite often they can um, not have the right level of password complexity or the multi-factor authentication turned on. Uh, you might even have to open some ports on your modem router for different services to work, IoT devices, and they can definitely create vulnerabilities um, in, in, in your store and, and, of course, across your network. Um, but what has also changed um, is the way that data is now stolen or well, three years ago it was simply encrypted. So the typical ransomware attack of a number of years ago would be that your data would be encrypted, your machine would be locked and there'd be a message in your screen saying, you know, give us the money and we'll, we'll unlock your PC, we'll unlock your data. But your data was still intact and it was still on your premise. They hadn't actually got access to it, they'd simply encrypted it. Um, the backups that people have and the backups that we provide our customers mean that we can restore their data. So they'd contact us, we'd say, look, no, you, you don't need to pay the ransom. We've got a safe cop, we can restore that. Just ignore it, we'll wipe the PC, kick them out and, and we go on. And, and that worked terrifically for a while. Cyber criminals being the clever people they are, um, thought about how do we actually uh, continue to, to, to gain access to the, to the valuable data uh, and, and leverage that. So what they came up with, well, let's steal the data. And so that's what they're doing today, is rather than encrypting the data and, and, and the PCs, they're taking it off-site, they're taking copies of it, and then they're saying, look, we've got your data, um, there's nothing you can do, if you don't pay us the money, we're going to publicly release this information on the dark web, we're going to sell it to someone else, or we're going to start to contact the customers directly, uh, and then they'll come back to you saying, hey, what's, what, what's happened? And so once that situation has occurred, you're in a, in a real world of hurt, because it is a notifiable data breach, um, and your, your options in terms of how you actually deal with that are, are very limited. Um, there's, there's really nothing we can do to, to, to prevent that or to, to act on that once that data is actually stolen. Um, so that's a, that's a really important point to, um, to be aware of. Also, we're seeing an increase in what's called supply chain attacks. So this is where a company is hacked and the cyber criminals embed malicious code into a legitimate software, software that you trust and download. So essentially there's, there'll be software that you use on your computer. Um, you get a notification as you normally do, hey, you need to run an update. You run that update because that is best practice. You do need to run your updates and keep your software because 99.999% of the time that update is legitimate. That update has all the security fixes that you need. But if that particular company has been hacked and the data has been embedded into or malicious code has been embedded into that software, you're actually downloading that and that bypasses every security protocol you have in place because it's legitimate software that you've downloaded and there's a little bit of code hidden in there which is malicious. And so that's what we're saying and that's been a, again a, a, some large breaches over in the US were direct results of what is known as supply chain attacks. And so that really changes the game in terms of how you can lose access to your data and how you can actually be hacked. 
And so, you know, the worry is that, that all the staff training, all the novel cyber protections are instantly bypassed um, when, when a supply chain attack is, is enabled. So with that also, we've seen an increase in attacks on pharmacies in the last six or seven weeks, um, primarily ransomware that we've seen delivered via an email. Um, there has been some other methods which I'll talk to a, a little bit later. Um, but the tools we have deployed for our customers show that thousands and thousands of scans each month against pharmacy networks looking for vulnerabilities, uh, which is very much in line with a recent announcement by the NAB, the National Australia Bank, saying that they were getting 50 million attempts a month to try and gain access to their systems. In episode 110, David Bruce from Orima Research provided us with an update on CP2025. David, as I mentioned before, as part of the survey process, you also ask patients or consumers their opinion. What are they saying about pharmacies? Yeah, look, consumers have always had a really positive perception of pharmacies, um, which is kind of a double-edged sword in, in some respects. Obviously, it's a good thing as a sector. Consumers have said, you know, they strongly trust um, pharmacies and they have a you know, real sense that they can pretty much walk into any pharmacy and get a really high quality of service. One of the things that we noted back in 2018 when we were looking at the survey results back then, while that's a really positive um, perception for consumers to, to hold of the sector, what it did do though is it meant that to some extent pharmacies became a little bit commoditized in the eyes of, of consumers. They knew they could walk into any pharmacy and get a high quality of service. And so they started to, or it gave them freedom, if you like, to, to look more at things like convenience and cost and so on when choosing which particular pharmacy to, um, to, to go to. What we're seeing in the more recent results is um, probably slow improvements in perception. So they were strong, but if anything, that they're getting stronger again. And what we're seeing is things like uh, uptake in e-scripts, for example, we're seeing an increase in the proportion of pharmacists, of consumers, sorry, who um, report going to pharmacies for services. And we're also seeing from some new questions that we just added into the 2022 survey, some information about the extent to which consumers use pharmacies for advice. And what we found was actually a really high proportion of consumers saying that in the last 12 months they'd actually visited a pharmacy specifically seeking advice. And uh, that was a, a new set of questions that we'll be starting to, to track. And we also included those in the, the pharmacy member uh, survey, which also showed you know, a really high level of, of people using pharmacies for, for services. So overall, um, you know, the consumer perceptions of the sector have been really strong. And if anything, they look like they're continuing to, to strengthen and evolve slightly. Brian Walker from Retail Group helped us understand how we can be fit for business in episode 111. And setting a retail space up for success is sounding, as I listen to you speak, more and more like an art than a science or just a plug and play approach. It really does need a lot of attention. And I imagine that there is a for want of a better phrase, a spectrum of success in terms of getting your retail strategy set up right. You just spoke about all the things that a business that is fit gets right and does well. What about the other end? What does it look like when things go wrong? How does it impact the business? So Daniel, in that sense, it's, a, it's the antithesis of everything I just started by saying on spit. So if you took that athletic parallel or analogy across, you'd say, well, Super fit is in the Olympics and unfit is 
puffing around the park on the corner, I suppose. It's the antithesis of everything I've said, I guess. I mean, it's a business that hasn't got a clear point of difference, hasn't got a particularly good focus, hasn't got good business information systems. People haven't got a sense of purpose, measurement, motivation, training. Stock's out of control. The business owner can't tell you what sales come from, what product, at what point, what place. Um, it's a business that is largely dependent on the owner. That's always a business that is problematic. It's a business that's not setting itself up to be scalable. Um, and it's a business that doesn't communicate to its market because it doesn't know its core market. It doesn't have good category mix and can't tell you precisely where the, where the cash is coming from, if you like, or where the sales are coming from. And finally, for 2022, Minky Vandervolt helped us learn more about how to manage stress in pharmacies in episode 112. You just spoke about the gentleman who was quite wound up, throwing, ten, uh, throwing balls at the wall was a good process. The lady carrying stress in her shoulders, red music, drawing on the paper. The session itself sounds like it's a great outcome. How do those clients then apply what you're working with them through and giving them tools when they leave you? How do they carry that on when they leave your practice? A lot of what we do in session is talk about how the nervous system works. So we talk about, often I love talking about polyvagal theory with clients because I think it's a really great way to understand how um, our nervous system is working and, and how what sort of supports we might need. So we, there's a bit of psychoeducation that is involved in terms of um, the stress response cycle and how people can meet their need and then release it. But it's all about sort of finding what, what supports different people. So some people might be into, you know, the drawing. Other people might be more into talking things through. Um, but I'm also a big believer in and um, the, the research is also out there to show that the small pockets of rest or small pockets of connecting in with yourself is what helps to get us through the day uh, you know, whether it's mindfulness, it's just about getting out of the the busyness, out of the stress and just sort of pausing and connecting in with yourself for those small little pockets of time. That's a wrap for Volume 9 of the Best Bits of the PBCM podcast, which is part two of our two-part look back at 2022. So if you missed part one, be sure to head back and check it out. I've been your host, Daniel Oyson, and it's been an absolute pleasure and fantastic once again having you join me to revisit some of the amazing stories, experiences, challenges, insights and advice from our guests. And once again, thank you to everybody who's taken the time out to come on the show and make these episodes happen. I know that all the listeners are truly grateful that they found some time in their busy schedules to come on the show. The Guild is dedicated to supporting members and the Community Pharmacy Network with tools, resources and information to assist businesses and career growth and improvement. For more information, contact your local Guild branch and visit the Guild website, guild.org.au. But for now, you've been listening to episode 115 of the PBCN Podcast. The PBCN Podcast, supporting your journey every step of the way. For more resources, to access support or advice, or to view this episode's show notes, visit guild.org.au.